This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. As a child, I recall that every day was filled with conversation about some aspect of football. We would go to games, but it was what it was, and that was his job, and he didn't really know anything differently. It was just sort of part of our lives. Jake Goddard won the Grey Cup twice as a player and four times as a manager. He was the longest serving commissioner of the CFL and became one of the most recognizable faces in football. In private, Jake Goddard was a very different man. When my father was home, you hardly knew he was there. He was very quiet, sometimes remote, and at times seemed withdrawn. There was, though, a single photograph that touched their father deeply, a photograph of one of the first teams he ever played on, one he would never speak about, even to his family. Although Dad kept this photograph in his possession over his lifetime, he never shared its meaning. Who these young men were, from where they came. Jake Goddard died in 2007. For his daughters, Jackie and Diane, it has always been a mystery why a man who lived such a public life would keep secret the story of this one team. And don't ask me about these men. <laughs> I don't remember that far back. At 89, Jake's widow, Molly, still remembers the way this photograph moved her husband. He had tears in his eyes. He would show it to me, but we didn't talk about it very much. Original condition, Isn't that I something? think. Look at that. Like a bodysuit. Yeah. What number is on the back? 
54. 54. Do we know who 54 was? What was dad? 50? That was 52. And I it's the same jersey worn by the team in their father's photograph. A team called the Hurricanes. 41. And 42. Oh, wow. The team was made up of recruits from the Royal Canadian Air Force. Thompson, Stukas, Gadar. In January 1942, Jake Gadar is one of thousands of young men who arrive at the grounds of the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. For months, life is filled with an endless rotation of marching and drilling. One new recruit, though, is about to change that. Hurricanes at practice to listen to Coach Lou Heyman. Ah. Flying Officer Lou Heyman is a legend. The coach who led the Toronto Argonauts to three Grey Cups. He convinces the base commander to let him build a football team. And the RCAF Hurricanes are born. Charlie Prince and John Buckmaster played on their university teams, but haven't stepped on the field since. Eddie Burton is a provincial pole vaulting champion from Montreal. Robert Sarvis is a 200-pound left tackle from Tennessee State University, who was born in Canada. Eddie Thompson is a former halfback and kicker with Toronto's balmy beach. And Jake Goddard is the team's snapback. But these new recruits have no idea of the firestorm they'll soon be facing. In Europe, Hitler's armies are now in control. To push them back, the Allies plan a massive air offensive. Canada, 130,000 airmen will be trained to retake Europe. Among them, the young recruits of the RCAF Hurricanes. On the first day of basic training, Jake Goddard meets another recruit, one who will change his life. The day I checked in, I was assigned a bunk beside an American named Ed Poscavage, who arrived the same day. I had played football with the Argonauts, he had played for Ohio State. For the next year and a half, we were seldom apart, whether it was on the parade grounds or during flying instructions. Ed is determined to get into the war. He joins the RCAF after the US Air Force expels him for crashing his plane during training. Ed is one of the few Hurricanes to have ever flown a plane before. Now the men are expected to learn meteorology and aerodynamics.
I've often imagined what his first flight must have felt like to him. There he is standing in front of an aircraft. He's going to fly all by himself. These World War II veterans call themselves the old boys. What do you do? Well, I'm still here. <laughs> As new recruits, they played football together. There's been a lot of lies told here today, Jackie. So don't believe everything you heard. They even remember playing against Jackie's dad. They asked me if I if I ever saw your your your, your dad's rump. I said no. We always used to go face to face because he was playing center linebacker and I was playing quarterback. Ah. So I, he probably saw mine, but I never saw his. <laughs> the old boys still remember how they felt during those first days of military training. It was an adventure. I can't think of a soul in all my buddies then that were a little concerned, oh, are we going to get hit or anything? Nothing like that. No. You were there and you were in there for the excitement, for the adventure. To help boost the country's morale, for the first time, military teams will compete for the Grey Cup. The Hurricanes face their first test of the season against a civilian team. The Toronto Oakwood Indians are not going to go down without a fight here, and the RCAF team knows it. They take dead aim at the bombers and give them a duel as they fling their bodies at the pivoting, hard-smashing attackers. The Indians deal the Hurricanes a 15-6 loss. Coach Heyman knows his men aren't clicking as a team. What they need is more time. Overseas, Canadian troops suffer one of their worst losses of the war. Seven thousand men storm the German-held port of Dieppe. By midday, nearly one thousand are dead, twenty-six hundred wounded and taken prisoner. The failure confirms that the only way to drive the Germans back is from the air. Yet the young men of the Hurricanes have barely got off the ground. from Winnipeg, Mike Ozarko, Ottawa. Oh. At night, Mike Ozarko is the hurricane's tackle. During the day, he's an RCAF instructor who will teach the hurricanes to fly. Hi, Jackie, come on in. <laughs> I couldn't sleep because I was thinking of dad oh. so much. To meet you is, is fantastic because you're actually pulling some of the pieces that I've been trying to find out about my father, you know, many, many years ago that he's never really talked about. This is dad right here. Mm -hmm. It's the same hat type. Yes, and a very time. handsome man. And tough, I heard. Oh, unbelievable, yes. Now, did he ever share with you any stories of the war? Nothing. That was a, a blank. There was no mention of, of any of that. I am sure my father had and, and saw a lot of stuff in it and I think he it just he decided to 
keep it inside and yes. never release it. He didn't even talk about football, just tucked it away and left it alone. What was it about that generation of men who needed to keep these things buried deep inside themselves? shot. Hurricanes gather in Rondell formation. Now, Dad looks like he's cracking up. Dad goofing off. Dad goofing off. Not characteristic. No. I rarely saw my father have any extremes of emotion, whether that's happiness, sadness, anger. He just was not given to being de demonstrative in any way. I look at this photograph and I can't help but wonder what happened to this joyous, exuberant young man as I contrast him with how I knew him growing up and as he was later in life. Coach Heyman drills his new recruits late into the night. He's determined to take a military team all the way to the Grey Cup. But the Hurricanes continue to be outplayed, this time by the York Bulldogs. Only a last-minute field goal ties the game and averts another loss. Off the field, Jake Gadar meets Molly Scott at Eaton's. I was a figure skater. <laughs> Football, no. <laughs> what were these idiots doing crashing into each other, hitting themselves head to head? I learned to love it. <laughs> Jake's best friend, Ed, is an American national swimming champion. He's introduced to a local girl named Cynthia Dawson at the High Park swimming pool. He was polite, and he had a sense of humor, and he also had his girlfriend. <laughs> we had some good times together. In the air, fighter pilots like Jake and Ed are pushed to master steep climbs and recovery drills. I'll be here to guard you. Okay, good. When you push this button up, mm -hmm. you're going to talk to the outside world. When you push this button down, you talk between you and me. Captain Robert Fleck is a former Canadian Air Force top gun. Today, he's taking Jackie for a flight in a Harvard, the same plane the Hurricanes trained in 70 years ago.
I'll have to admit to feeling somewhat apprehensive. But I realized that my father's experience would have been vastly different. up for what was to come overseas. On a course approximately the size of 40, uh, you tend to lose three or four guys to training accidents. I realized how vulnerable they must have felt, how vulnerable they were as they flew off facing their own fear. Heyman sees a change in his team. The men are starting to gel, to play together. I'm sure they have that extra layer, that extra element of the, the Air Force and the training that they underwent together. I'm sure there was a special bond. By mid-season, the hurricanes start to turn it around. The RCAF boys have scored time and time again over the paddlers here. Now Gadar smashes the opposition ball carriers with flourishing glee. It's an action-filled contest. The Skybird starts strongly with Eddie Thompson scoring early for the Flyers thanks to a magnificent block by lineman John Buckmaster, who is not... As the hurricanes go on an unexpected winning streak, Soldiers and civilians flock to the field to see this unlikely military team in action. The passing has begun and the riders are aired out. The Hurricanes continue their domination of the Ontario Rugby Football Union, much like Joe Lewis in the boxing ring. But Coach Heyman has tuned the Hurricanes to a high pitch of efficiency. Heyman's team soon draws crowds not seen in a decade as people turn to the Hurricanes to forget the war. By the time the team advanced to the Eastern Finals, the men are national celebrities. The Hurricanes don't stop. Today, Ed Piscovich has scored two touchdowns, with three other Hurricanes getting one each. And now Charlie Prince is finishing things off with a punt single. In late November, the Hurricanes win the Eastern Championships and head to the Grey Cup. They will face one of the most successful teams in Canadian football, the Winnipeg Bombers. December 5th, 1942. The field at Varsity Stadium in Toronto is covered in ice. Despite the cold and wind, the game is sold out. 
Donnie Crow gets it on a direct snap. It was meant for Eddie Thompson, but he doesn't get his hands on it. It's a bad snap because the ball is slippery and hard to handle. The Bombers are the favorites. They've won the Grey Cup three times in the last seven years. And the weather is on their side. The field is everything that is disastrous to the Hurricanes' style of play. Watery, slippery, and sandy. Overseas, thousands of Canadian soldiers tune into the broadcast. The Bombers score first, but the Hurricanes strike back. By late in the fourth quarter, they are winning by three points. But in the dying seconds of the game, a final bomber drive puts them in scoring position. Winnipeg coming out of the huddle. Shelley takes the ball. Here it is. It goes to Johnston. City's knocked down. The ball goes loose and it's picked up by Bob Sarvis. There's still a mad scramble and the ball is recovered in there, but who cares? It is the last play of the game. The RCAF Hurricanes have won the 1942 Grey Cup. What a grand and glorious victory for the Hurricanes. What an incredibly happy group of young men. For them to come together, to have this great moment of victory, it would have been a very special win at a time when winning was so important. On Wings Day, we were on pins and needles as they ran out the names of those who would receive their rank. Ed and I were standing side by side. We not only passed, but each of us was given the rank of pilot officer. Soon, the hurricanes will be posted overseas. When the war started to become such a big thing in the world, and that I knew he was going overseas. Then he asked me to marry him before he went. Ed is Jake's best man. And when Ed marries Cynthia, it's with Jake by his side. I think most of us thought that, you know, take love while you can. With their postings, men who once had each other's backs are now scattered to more than a dozen combat units. Tackle Robert Sarvis will soon be commanding a bomber hitting railways, bridges, and roads. Lineman John Buckmaster joins a squadron attacking Hamburg, Dresden, and Cologne. Jake and Ed, best friends since the first day they met, are split up. Ed returns to the U.S. Air Force and is posted overseas, where he's always wanted to be. With the assault on Europe underway, Ed's chance of survival drops with every flight. 
Just one in four airmen now return from a mission. Next, we have First Lieutenant Edmund W. Foscavage, 6 City Hill Court in Lagata, Connecticut. How long have you been overseas? Well, uh, I've been overseas now two months. Most of our missions have been beating up the railroads in Germany, and uh, most of them have been uh, fairly exciting, the strafing of the locomotives and having them blow up, and bombing of the freight train. But Jake doesn't get a chance to follow his teammates. He's ordered to stay behind for one year and train new recruits. My impression was he felt he should be going overseas too. Being a man, he would like to get into the belly of the fight. I can only speculate what his reaction would have been. Perhaps a sense of helplessness that he couldn't be there to support his teammates as they were trained to do. A bank of fog rolled in as we were on final approach. The recruit looked down, searching for the flap lever and must have moved the control column. I immediately shouted, I have control, because the aircraft was in a full spiral dive. I managed to level the plane off just under the fog bank, only 30 feet above the control tower, seconds away from oblivion. That night, I almost didn't come home. I'm sure he was doing the best he could to train pilots the best way he knew how. But if he was pushing the envelope, something tells me that was his way of saying, I'm brave too, because he didn't have the chance to prove it overseas. But after more than a year of instructing new pilots, Jake Goddard does the unexpected. He abruptly applies for a discharge from the Air Force. I cannot imagine why he would elect to leave his post. Perhaps the training, the stresses that accompany war were taking its toll. As the new football season begins, excitement has given way to sadness. You had neighbors, you had friends who had losses. But even on the streets, you know, um, a young man across the road, um, he died, and I didn't know him well enough, but you go over to say, you're sorry. It's a very sad time. Every day, there's news of another death. News that soon includes the men of the RCAF hurricanes. Lieutenant Edward Thompson. Eddie Thompson was the hurricane's co-captain and star halfback. 
So this was the letter that was written to Mr. Thompson, presumably his, his father. Dear Mr. Thompson, regretfully I must confirm my telegram of May 5th advising that your son, Flight Lieutenant Edward Thompson, is missing as the result of enemy action at sea. Eddie Thompson is the first hurricane to die. He's killed along with almost 40 other Air Force recruits when a German U-boat torpedoes their troop ship on the Atlantic. Speedster Eddie Thompson returns a kick all the way for a touchdown. Helping raids are keeping their mouths away. Oh, there's two questions here. On his 29th operational flight, lineman John Buckmaster guides his crew to the German city of Dessau. Just west of Berlin, his Lancaster is shot down. All seven crew, including Buckmaster, bail out and are taken prisoner by the Germans. So he was captured alive yeah. in a lot of the... Again. The three Canadians, said by the German interrogation, to have been alive and were later murdered. Now head coach flying officer Lou Heyman turns John Buckmaster loose. Bobby Beach is having their collective teeth kicked in by the This was a war crime. Yes. Oh, that's, that's tough to read. First, they're just a name. Where they were sent overseas, the missions they went on, and how they perished. It made it very real. Robert Sarvis was the hurricane's left tackle. In July of 1944, his squadron targets Stuttgart's automotive plants. Over the city, his plane is attacked and badly damaged. Crippled, Sarvis heads for Allied-controlled Normandy. But on the way, he's hit again, this time by friendly fire. Sarvis stays at the controls and keeps the plane in the air long enough for his crew to bail out. But not long enough to save himself. Flying Wildcats can't steal the victory from the Skybirds. Robert Sarvis opens a hole in the line for Don Crow who carries the mail for a big game in this rough and tumble game. I'll never forget that story. You can't help but be struck by what is true bravery. Some of the stories just, you know, haunt you. This is the one on deck. In 1944, Jake's request for a discharge is approved. With the Germans in retreat, he realizes the RCAF has enough pilots. Jake has missed his chance to fight in the war. That's my so, dad. Look how high he is off the ground. Amazing. Yeah. Lori Prince is the daughter of Hurricane Charlie Prince, who was also assigned to duties in Canada. I guess it would have been both guilt and relief. You know, on one hand, you know, thank God, and on the other hand, 
Like Jake, Charlie is worried about his best friend fighting overseas, Hurricane George Oliphant. So that's George Oliphant, and, and there's George also there. George and my dad, and they had girlfriends together, and uh, so, you know, and they played football with each other, against each other. So, George died overseas. It was sad. Yes. I found this picture of he and his wife, but, and the saddest thing is that she was pregnant when he died, and the baby was stillborn. You know, it formed his life immensely. One thing that my father very strongly believed in that you supported the group being a team member and, and in the war. That's yes. the epitome of what they were doing, wasn't it? To risk yourself for the bigger group. He stayed behind as he was ordered. These other ones went off and some of them did not return. After the war, something kept drawing Jake back to football. They didn't have a name for it back then. And I think it was some sense of survivor's guilt. Being there for the team became Jake's life. As commissioner, there was never a phone call he didn't take. And they came most evenings and most weekends. He was very serious about his jobs. And that caused some difficulties between us because I felt um, out of it and the children felt out of it. And he kept saying, well, you know, I have to do it, I have to do it. I'm sure there was some scar in his psyche from having lost that many people. The only time I ever saw it expressed was that Remembrance Day, because that was the only time that you saw his eyes fill up with tears. Scovich, who played outside wing for the RCF Hurricanes when they won the Grey Cup in 1942, has been reported missing in action over Germany, according to the United States Army Air Force. While training here, he married Miss Cynthia Dawson of Toronto. Her heart was broken. We were the only persons that knew her and her husband and how much they loved, and she wanted to share it with us. And we did. And Dad had done this beautiful charcoal sketch, sketch of, Ed. of Ed.
Where did you find it? Found it in his uh, papers. Did you? It was tucked in behind some other papers. I don't think he ever showed it to anybody. Curtis. Well, he loved him. He surely loved him. And the mouth is even half smiling. It's soft. No agony showing there. I was struck by the fact that Dad needed to keep it hidden away. It was almost like he was bearing the, the feelings of this best friend and teammate. I've only had one dream about my father in my entire life. That dream took place the night before I got on the airplane. And for the very first time, getting out of that car, I just felt he was with me. I felt his presence in a way that I've never felt before. It's to life again. So let's go and find Ed's closest living family is his niece and nephew in Connecticut, Linda and John. Hi. Hi. Welcome. 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 My brother. John. John. This is Hi. Diane. What a pleasure to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Yes, yes. After all these Yes. Years. Thank you for allowing us uh, into oh. your home. Appreciate it. When I was a little boy, they would compare me to, oh, Eddie used to do that. You know, and you'd hear him saying that, and you know, you pumped yourself up a little bit that you're doing something right for right. you. See if John can find him. John and Linda's family got the message that Ed was missing in action just weeks before the end of the war. So my family had to do research trying to find out what happened to him? There was always that hope, though, in the meantime, that he that was still alive. he was still alive. alive someplace, you know? There's a bridge they had to get rid of, and he got shot down going after the bridge. Because they had it heavily armored. They crashed. Just from what I see in his letters, I think he knew that uh, the missions he was going on that he was... He was in danger. He was in danger. Yeah, our family wouldn't yet even talk about it. Not my grandmother, not my mother. It hurt them so hard that they couldn't speak about it. It brought up memories they didn't want to remember. We have something you like to hear, okay? Next, we have First Lieutenant Edmund W. Poscavage, 6 City Hill Court in Nagatuck, Connecticut. And Lieutenant, how long have you been in the Army? Well, I've been in the RCAF for about nearly three years, and I've 
been in the United States Army Air Corps for about six months now. I see. Well, you've had quite a bit of service then. Do you have someone at home waiting for you now, Lieutenant? Well, my folks are in Naugatuck, and uh, my wife is in Toronto, Canada. I see. Well, I certainly hope you get back home to see soon. I know you miss him, don't you? I sure do. Thank you very much for coming up, Lieutenant. You're welcome. That was recorded, I think, a couple weeks before. We got to know him a little bit by listening to him. Yes. As, you know. Wonderful. And his voice. They lived through the horrors of war and lost people that they loved. I don't think you ever really get over the death of anybody that you love. There's always that part of you that, that aches. I think that's what my father was mourning all those years. He was grieving for his friends, and in particular, Ed. They were young boys. You know, they were kids still, really. When you look at the numbers that, that did not survive in, co in the context of the number of people in the photo, it has to be a third of the team. Fifteen hurricanes went overseas to fight. Seven never came home. No other professional sports team in Canada lost as many men in the Second World War. To honor these teammates, Jake Goddard committed himself to a life in football. But he never got over the loss of his friends. The last Remembrance Day was only a few weeks before he passed away. And there was a Remembrance Service, and I asked him if he would like to go. He said, no, it's just too sad. <laughs> 